This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone. Easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends. And then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff on Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another book club, and we, this month, are doing Rainbow Rowell's 2013 book, Fangirl, and oh goodness, it is so popular. It's translated into multiple languages, it's been made into manga, has several sequels that are based on the fan fiction written within the book that I'm very excited to read. I own... I own them. You can't see them, but they're behind me. The story <laughs> follows Kath Avery, who is starting freshman year at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, along with her twin sister, Wren, uh, Catherine, you know, get it? Um, I didn't until they spelled it out. <laughs> Kath and Wren have long been close and bonded over their love of the Simon Snow series, which is a wildly popular fantasy series about vampires and magic. Kath's fanfiction, Carry On, has thousands of readers uh, based on the Simon Snow series, which is essentially Harry Potter, um, maybe meets Twilight. And Kath is racing to finish this fanfiction before the eighth and final book of the series comes out. Wren, who has always been the more outgoing of the two, used to beta her story, uh, which is basically like an editor. They read over it and make an suggestions, changes, um, which pairs the two main male characters, Boz and Simon, together. But Ren is determined to make new friends at the university, saying that they have to get separate dorms. Ren goes out and parties while Kath stays in, struggling with social anxiety and worry over their father, as well as adapting to her gruff roommate, Reagan, uh, and her social... Reagan's social friend slash maybe boyfriend who's always in their room named Levi. Kath spends most of her free time writing fan fiction, is definitely using it as a coping mechanism. Eventually, Kath does befriend uh, Reagan and Levi along with her writing partner in her fictional writing class, Nick, whom she has a bit of a crush on. Kath, who got special permission to be in the class as a freshman, excels until she turns in some fan fiction as an assignment and gets an F, sending her spiraling. She can't get a hold of Ren, um, who has now grown more distant, so Kath is comforted by Levi and Reagan. Kath and Levi grow close, with Kath even reading some of her fan fiction to him, along with a book for class after he reveals he struggles with, with reading. Uh, so she stays up, Kath stays up and reads this book to him after Reagan uh, forgets about it. And the two kiss. Kath realizes she is romantically interested in Levi, but then witnesses him kissing another girl. Hurt, Kath flees before Levi sees her and starts avoiding him. She also gets in a fight with Nick after she helps him on an assignment, and he decides to turn it in for the class's final project, like this really big 
part of their grade final project without crediting Kath. Um, then her father is hospitalized during finals week, and Levi gives her a ride home, and Kath confronts him about what he did. Kath learns that Rin, who stayed to finish her finals, has been in contact with their estranged mother, who left them when they were young. Infuriated, Kath refuses to have any contact with her mom and decides that she's going to drop out of university and go to a local college so she can look after their dad, who disagrees with her decision. Right. So, Kath ultimately decides to stay and makes up her finals, except her final creative writing assignment, uh, because... You know, why not? Her professor convinces her to give it a try and gives her the rest of the semester to complete the project because she loved her writing, had so much hope in her. I was talking about how she was such an, like, so excelled in the program, all of these things. Even though Kat tells her all she wants is to write fan fiction. This is her world. This is what she loves. She doesn't, she can't create her own world, as she says. Kat and Levi make up and decide to give dating a try, which, by the way, the back and forth and the, like, the miscommunication was adorable and very, like, yeah, I've seen that. Um, And then she is reunited with her sister after she's hospitalized from alcohol poisoning, and she uh, briefly encounters her mother, who, you don't like her mother anymore. You would think there would be a better reaction, but there's not. Her mother's just <laughs> the worst. Um, Kath and Ren begin repairing their relationship, and Ren reveals she's been reading every update of Kath's fan fiction, and is desperate for her to finish it. So even though Kath thought she'd given up, because at one point, Ren makes fun of her for something so sacred, yeah. she realizes she still loves it too. So yay, Kath also wants to finish it before the eighth and final book comes out. But it consumes her and gets in the way of her studies uh, as the school year comes to an end. Levi convinces her that it's okay. She doesn't finish it before the eighth Simon Snowbook comes out and renders her story, quote, non-compliant, uh, that she can still write it after. By the way, Levi is very upset that she's getting these opportunities and wants her to do it because he doesn't get these opportunities and would kill for these opportunities to do better all these things. So it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Kath finishes her short story focusing on her relationship with her sister and uh, it's published in the school paper, which we find out later like that Nick had taken the the story that she and he wrote together uh, to try to publish it to make himself kind of you know, known as a writer and she wouldn't, she didn't care but she didn't want any credit and though he, he, after the teacher found out that she had helped him. So there's some, like, yes, vindication in this whole thing because Nick's a jerk, and we find that out. But then Nick has to do this whole mea culpa just to get his name out there, and she doesn't let it happen. But she gets it there just with her own story. Yeah! I wanted to include this quote from the author. I wrote Fangirl during November as part of National Novel Writing Month. I liked the idea of a built-in limitation. It was easy to write about fanfiction, even though I would have been embarrassed to speak about fanfiction at the time. 2011 was a different world because I was writing for me. And I was writing so quickly, I didn't have much time to worry about being exposed or embarrassed. Kath writes fanfiction because that's the world that makes her happiest as a writer. That's the world she loves. I think you can write original fiction in the same spirit. You can create a world just because it makes you happy. You can write a book just because you want to spend time with it. And I love that. I love that. Um, It is funny because I know I've done National Novel Writing Month. Uh, Actually, the Sminty series we're doing, we're reading on here right now, which is a trilogy. All three of them I wrote for National Novel Writing Month. And I remember, like, I'll see messages from editors posted somewhere that'll be like, oh, I hate, right. I hate in December all these books from people who wrote books in National Novel Writing Month come in and they're not very good. Uh, but this one was very, very good. <laughs> and I know we've talked about National Novel Writing Month on here before, but uh, one of the things I love about it is that you have to get out of your head. You can't, you you can't just get stuck in editing. You have to write it. I got the first and the ending and the middle part was like, oh God, but I wrote like a lot and then I quit. I was like, let's do what? <laughs> no, you have to write it, Samantha. It is quite a big like undertaking. They have that graph that they show you how much further you have to go and it can be very stressful. <laughs> it can it be. It was a lot. Apparently, the uh, another book that was written during that time, uh, Water for Elephants. Oh, really? <laughs> hmm And you can kind of see the... You can kind of see the rush. There's a point that you're like, I see what you've done. It's a great book. I loved it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, began because of the NaNoWriMo, which is what the National Novel right. Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. I think it's... 
nanorimal, like, right? But I do the same thing. Really? Well, I'm going to say what I say. Well, and as I've said, like, the, the current thing we're reading on Sminty Fiction is part of a trilogy. Um, who knows we'll, if we'll get to all three. But I wrote all of them through NaNoWriMo, and there's definitely going to be a section that we'll all enjoy together where you're going to be like, oh, she was rushing. <laughs> she <laughs> was rushing. <laughs> I also wanted to include The Ford, which I loved, and I texted Samantha, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to love this yes. book. Quote, to Jennifer, who always had an extra lightsaber. Right. <laughs> Ready to go. Yeah, and to set up uh, the popular quote about the fictional books in the novel, quote, Simon Snow is a series of seven fantasy books written by English philologist Gemma T. Leslie. The books tell the story of Simon Snow, an 11-year-old orphan from Lancashire who is recruited to attend the Watford School of Magics to become a magician. Um, as he grows older, Simon joins a group of magicians, the Magis, who are fighting the insidious humdrum, an evil being being tried to rid the world of magic. Uh, since the publication of Simon Snow and the Magis Air in 2001, the books have been translated into 53 languages and as of August 2011, have sold more than 380 million copies. Yes, by the way, yeah, you've already talked about the fact that these books exist. These books exist, except there's only four or five. Yeah, so the version of fan fiction that Kath writes, uh, throughout this book you get snippets you can, uh, yeah, there's a, there's at least three, maybe four that have been published of Kath's fan fiction of this world. And I own three of them. And I'm really excited to read them. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely, like I said, it's it's Harry Potter for sure. With some, um, with some Twilight thrown in, um, I think it's Harry Draco slash. Pretty sure. That's what's going on. Okay, well, that's what it seems. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Maybe you're right. I guess maybe there's only three books out. I thought there were four that I had seen, but I think you're right. There's only a trilogy. It's a trilogy right now. Oh, it might end up with a trilogy, actually. Okay, so all of these things, on top of the fact that I've actually already read uh, Rainbow Rowell's uh, other book, Eleanor and Park, as how I was introduced to her. Um, and I really love that book. It is a YA novel, um, but it's set in the late 80s uh, for a teenage girl and a teenage boy who is an Asian teenage boy. And I really thought that That's was cool. interesting. Uh, the girl is also a thicker, uh, bigger girl, as, as it describes in the book. And it's kind of like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. A little bit tragic. Uh, it's very, it's not emo, but it's definitely not like you're up in like, oh, romance. It definitely has that moment of like, oh, it's not the happiest of endings. Um, but I really loved that book. And when I realized this was her, I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah, I know I like her writing. I know she uh, she's an amazing writer. I'm excited about this. Let's go. But did you know she was a part of the She-Hulk writing? No, I didn't. Of the current... What's happening? Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, from what I gather, I could be wrong. Um, she helped book five of eight of She-Hulk. Oh, I did see that. Oh. Right? Okay, but back to, uh, like, I'm just interesting. She is the author on it, so I found that yeah. interesting and thought that would something that we need to talk about since we're probably going to end up coming to talk about She-Hulk yeah. eventually. Yeah. And also with this book, I decided to do it through Audible, which I do a lot of the times because uh, I am that person now. But it w- was awesome because one of the readers uh, is someone that I had a huge crush on from Greece too, Maxwell Caulfield. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? I would have never known. I would have never known that was him on my own. But when I looked him up, I was like, wait, I know him. So that was really interesting. However, the main narrator of the book uh, is Rebecca Lohman, who's in a lot of the books. I think she does several of uh, Rainbow Rowell's books as well. Um, but she's the main one. And we only hear, I only hear, the audience only hears uh, Maxwell Caulfield for the snippets of fan fiction and or the novel that she's talking about. So, so that does it for the Simon uh, Basil stuff. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, but it was a good like snippets to here and there. But at the end, he does read her short story that she publishes in the publication that the school does for the creative writers. So it was really interesting. That's how it ends on, I know it ends that way, but it ends on, I'm like, oh, that's a nice little note to end on. But yes, so it was very fun. Uh, it was very 
I had moments where I had to stop it because it was so embarrassing. I was like, oh my God, I got to stop. I got to stop. Uh, and then come back to, but it was very good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it resonated with me in a lot of ways. And, and in a lot of ways we're going to talk about when it comes to fandom and honestly, college. Like, right, it college. Really captured yeah, college. For sure. For me. I was curious about your Audible experience because, uh, well, they're not currently a sponsor. They have been a sponsor in the past, but currently they are not. That could change in the future. Um, but I knew you were going to listen to it on Audible, and I was there when you realized, like, right. who that guy I'm was. Like, ah. And I was so excited for you. People can fight me about Grease 2. There's so many things about Grease 2, but <laughs> I loved him, and I had a crush on him. Was he 23? <laughs> he was actually in the movie from the 90s, Empire Records. Okay, he was in that, and he was a douchebag in that one. Okay, all right. I want to hear it. Uh, next time we hang out, you should play a segment of this. I will. I'll give. Just want to hear the the fan fiction. Uh, yeah, being read. I will. He does a great mm-hmm. job in voicing the characters of okay. these fun fan fiction characters. He does a really good job. All right. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Okay, so there are a lot of uh, themes we want to go over. Um, one of the big ones is the sisterhood between Kath and Ren. So there's a lot of competition. So it's told from Kath's point of view, right? So we're kind of limited about what we're getting to see. So we're getting her view of Ren, which is kind of um, sanitized. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Um, so on Kath's end, like, is who's the point of view we're, we're seeing it through. She feels like there's a lot of competition between her and Ren, and maybe we're not getting the full picture. There's a lot of inferiority for Kath because Ren is seen as sort of the more outgoing one, the one who is able to adapt more to things like college, perhaps. And they've always been together. So when Ren is like, um, I want to go live in separate dorms, that was a huge deal for Kath and and for both of them, as we later, as we later find out. She describes feeling like she's being dumped by her sister, who uh Ren's roommate, Courtney and her, seem to be hitting it off just great. <laughs> 
always has plans. Um, I think it's Levi who describes them as like she, uh, Kath being uh, Clark Kent and Ren being like Superman. Right. And there is a scene where like um, Kath gets a text message, sort of like a 911 message from Ren. Right. And Kath panics and she gets Levi and they go to this bar to find her. There's a lot of like twin grossness, like guys being really gross about them being twins. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's definitely a lot between the two trying to distinguish each other. Kath was never really excited about being a separate personality. She talks about how if Ren got invited to something, she was automatically invited. So that was the easiest way for her to socialize, her anxieties overall. Like, we, they talk a lot about the different mental health aspects uh, through this. She talks about how she went more and more inward, got depressed, like literally uh, so embarrassed to ask to go uh, to the bathroom that she... Uh, ended up urinating on herself because that was the level of detriment that she did not want to be seen for so long. Uh, But then, yeah, Ren kind of just bypassed it and seemed like she was okay most of the time. She was able to stand up to people. She took the clothes, apparently, between the two of them that were cuter, more sexier, more whatever, and would wear it, even if it was uh, Kath's. She would take it, essentially, and wear it often and do it well, essentially feel confident in it. She was also the one first to like, this is college, we get to live our life, and going out partying every night and finding people to party with every night and uh, making sure that she was a part of that bar, a part of that scene, which I've seen. I lost friends because I was that way. I was very awkward. I was very inward. I never went out. I never went to bars. I did not have my first drink until I was 21. Um, and I had a glass of wine. I was like, <laughs> literally, like I, I was very flummoxed by the fact that I had finally had a drink and I was very cautious of it, making sure I didn't go overboard and, and all of that. I did not wear pants because I was a, hated my thighs and I wore long khaki or denim skirts, not even playing. I wore t-shirts that were too big uh, because I wanted to hide myself so desperately. So I understood that. And if I and my my best friend at the time, she was outgoing. Everybody loved her and I could not understand. And I always stayed in her shadow because she was my best friend. So a little bit different, obviously, but that was that level of like, I don't want to be seen. I don't want this to be a thing. And then also, I was being fetishized as an Asian person. Like, it was this whole level of like weirdness that I was trying to disappear as much as possible because I didn't want to be seen in any way whatsoever, partially because I felt like there's no way I could be any of these things. So might as well beat them at the punch and just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I said, and I would really love to hear from listeners um, that I feel like this book really captured how I felt during college a lot, which was like, hide yourself, stay in your room, cook your illegal grilled cheese on your illegal uh, George Orman grill. <laughs> I would literally just sit in my dorm and I would like look out the window and uh, it would be getting dark and I'd feel like I was a prisoner, like I was trapped in there. But you actually went out, right? Because you did have stories of being drunken out. I did, but not nearly as much as I did when I got out of college. Um, <laughs> well, maybe that's the stories I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in college, I was, <laughs> I was pretty like, I had to study. Uh, mm-hmm. I learned very quickly at the school I was going to that you could not not study. <laughs> so most of my stories, um, I, I do have some college drunkenness stories, but most of them took place in my apartment uh, where we just didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, yeah, right, Bailey's. Right. No, 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 don't drink too much Bailey's. Bailey's. I had rosé. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I mean, college drinks. I uh, I mean, really, it's a whole disservice we're doing to young people. <laughs> we're telling them, you know, this is the college experience, and especially women. Right. And, like, throughout the book, I was kind of struck, um, even though it's been my experience, too, how often there are so many references to, oh, well, you could be raped. Right. You're going to be attacked. Yeah. You shouldn't be alone. You didn't. Mm-hmm. You need to do these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I definitely think that that's, again, like they do a really good job, but then the loss of 
her sister, like just being not, uh, just being away from her mm-hmm. security blanket, who was her sister at this point in time, was a whole thing. And both of them diverting in their interests or, or their uh, ideals. It happens. It happens so often. I've lost so many friends, high school friends, because of college. I was like, you are on a whole different path than I am. I think mm-hmm. we can't be hanging out anymore. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, when you go to college, there is this expectation that uh, suddenly you're going to be a different person and then you go out or um, some people (laughs) really go out and really get drunk a lot. And then some people don't go out uh, so much. And it is is a really tumultuous time because you feel like, well, I've got to adapt to this. This is what college is. And so with Kath, we kind of have this like codependence with Kath or Kath is like, oh, what do I do? Without Ren, Ren is like, oh no, I, I gotta have this this independence. And even though we're talking about twin sisters, I related to this because I um, had a roommate when I was in college, and she was a best friend of mine, and we had been best friends since we were quite young, like five or six, and um, we both ended up going to the same university, and she wanted to have separate rooms. She wanted us to to be different people. She did, though, kind of go down the path that Red went. And like, I totally think it's being, it's legitimate to want right. to, you know, strike out. I want to do my own thing. Right. Um, but she definitely uh, leaned hard into this perceived college lifestyle. Meanwhile, I definitely... Went down the path that Kath went. <laughs> Again, I really think she captured college, like American college especially. Right. The dorm life, all of that. She did a good job in the anxieties of it all too. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, so this friend I went to school with, so basically throughout the book, there is Kath has this fear that uh, she's going to get replaced. And so, yeah, with my friend in college, I had the the same fear, like the single white female thing, you know, someone's going to come in and take your place, where uh, my friend was so much more popular than me, and she would come over and hang out with me at my apartment, and everybody, like my roommates and everybody on the floor, just liked her more, and it did become a source of tension. Right. (laughs) As in fact, I'd I'd gone away for a year, and I'd always thought... She was so much prettier than me. She's all these things than me. And she might be. I mean, there's no reason. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of this. But, of course, just my insecurity. And there was, someone was looking at the pictures of my college, and it showed me and my best friend slash roommate. So she was like, who is that? She's so pretty. I mean, God, her eyes are so... I'm oh, like... No. Yep. Oh, no. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> yep. What have gotten in my and head. And <laughs> she is. And she is. But I was like, they never said that about me. Cool. Like... <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm okay now. I'm okay now. Uh, we'll we'll have to come back and talk <laughs> about that. Okay. So I did want to touch on this. There are toxic family relationships throughout this. Um, perhaps most prominently, their relationship with their mother, Kath's relationship with her mother. So Kath is just like not having uh, the idea of meeting with this person, of dealing with this person. To make it clear, I'm not judging her. She totally had legit reasons for that. And Ren uh, really wanted to meet her. So that was that was a contention point between them. Because they couldn't reach an understanding. A part of that was they were secretive with each other. Yes, absolutely. So Ren was hiding that fact. Uh, and when yeah. they figured out who was doing what, like it just, it was a kind of a shock and a betrayal. Because they shared everything. And then Ren was doing all these things because she knew Kath would not be happy, so she was hiding it. A lot of this is like not telling each other stuff and and trying to be deceitful with each other, and that's fine. Like, And then getting back at each other, like, I'm not going to tell her so she doesn't tell me this. Like, the petty is of petty, uh, which I have done and I still do. It's fine. I'm fine. Um, but yeah, we talk about the relationship, and I found this was an interesting point because we've talked about father issues in fan fiction. So I'm like, I wonder if this plays into her fan fiction, even though she's not a real person. Mm-hmm that mother issues. Oh, I'm sure. 
This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I wanted to include this quote. Um, so uh, her... Um, Catherine Wren's mother left on September 11th, like the September 11th. Uh, and here's a quote about it. The fight went on and on. And when the president flew over their heads that afternoon on the way to the Air Force Base, the only plane in the sky, Kath thought maybe the whole world was going to end. Her mom left for good a week later, hugging both of the girls on the front porch, kissing their cheeks again and again, and promising that she'd see them both soon, that she just needed some time to feel better, to remember who she really was, which didn't make any sense to Kath and Wren. You're our mom. Kath couldn't remember everything that happened next. So, obviously very traumatic. Um, and going back to what you said, and I know we've talked about this before, uh, sometimes on mic and sometimes off mic, but I feel like there is a whole layer of, like, when you're trying not to hurt people, so you don't, you feel like you can't be your complete self with somebody. Right. And then by trying to not hurt them, you hurt them even more. Never get the mom's whole story. We get like pieces of it, right? So it's it's hard to say, but certainly throughout their family, you get this idea that they feel like, for one reason or another, they cannot be totally honest with each other. I did want to include this bit because I thought it was kind of funny um, about breakups. So Kath is dating this guy when the book starts out named Abel, and um, everyone else keeps telling her like, "Oh, you're not dating, not really." Um, and then Abel, you know, they go to different colleges and Abel breaks up with Kath uh, via phone call. And and they've been together for three years. And he's like, oh, well, we've never really been together, though. <laughs> and Kath was like, what? And I was like, yes, this is what those early relationships are like. Um, that was my experience anyway. Right. But also he is already seeing somebody and then he kind of compares her to her and then also says the whole like, but she loves her, your writings. <laughs> insult upon yes. insult. 
Yes. <laughs> what he brings up like her SAT scores? The, yeah, ACT scores. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is also another, this is an instance of like, when you go to college, a lot of times you're like, oh, no, we'll stay friends forever. Best friends forever. Uh, we'll date. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of times it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. But a lot right. of times it doesn't. Well, I was also thinking a lot of college relationships don't last either. True. True story. <laughs> and there were a lot of complicated relationships. Um, so, like, we had Levi and Reagan, who had been in a relationship in high school, and they were still good buddies to the point that Kath assumed that they were still dating. Right. right. And this relationship with Abel, and you kind of see this complicated relationship with Ren. And there's a lot throughout of Kath feeling this attraction to boys and realizing she's feeling this attraction to boys. And I definitely think there was a parallel of Levi being Simon and Nick being Boz. Really? He's like, (laughs) Nick is the bad boy. (laughs) I didn't see that, but that's interesting. Levi is like (laughs) the nice guy, but actually the nice guy. (laughs) I did see like Nick being... But that the pretentious dude, so how often? Like for me, I always went after the pretentious nerdy writer dude in college. And I say after I was attracted to and then but then the nice like he was a down home Levi's a down home boy, you know, who wants to go back on the ranch and work uh in that and having some issues, not a big reader, I keep saying that. And that's like, oh hell no. If he's not a big reader, we can't be together. You know, one of those big things, and you find out, oh, he has a uh a learning disability. Of course, she never says that out loud. They never talk about diagnosis, but like he's having to work around to make sure that he uh, is able to learn. Yes. But like it's interesting. Like yeah, that, those are the two dynamics. I'm like yeah, absolutely. I see that that nerd. But Levi turned out mm-hmm. to be the bigger nerd. While we see that mm. Nick is a pretentious ass. Yes, indeed. <laughs> don't come at us. I know what you're going to say, listeners. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, and and change was a really big theme throughout that that, that whole moving into a college dorm, uh, feeling like it's a prison, being too afraid to leave, having no one uh, around really. It's just such a, a, a precipitous moment in your life because you feel like, oh, life's going to change. Um, and maybe that's putting way too much pressure on it. And I mostly remember being like, so excited, but mostly scared. <laughs> and I was afraid to leave for a long time, uh, leave my dorm. It did feel like a prison to me. I smelled eventually. <laughs> I smelled oh. sometimes. We have, to, we have to open the window. We oh, have to open gosh. the window. <laughs> but the boys were worse. That's what I discovered. <laughs> and I love the setup of... Levi's house because I I know those boys. I know those boys. As in fact, I dated someone in my mid-30s who still lived like that. Yeah. Uh, he was on some hard times, but he lived with six other boys. And when I went to his house, it was literally at the very top of the stairs. We opened up the window because like it was like it was such an old house. And I was like, where am I right now? Is this a college dorm? Is this a college household where we all come together to live at a house and no longer the dorm? But it's called, and it was, it had a specific name for that house because it was a group of boys that lived at this house. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one thing I picked up on was like, uh, there was a love building in this and my college had a love building. Like, did we all have a love building? And I also... um I went to a school that is 70% men, or it was at the time. And so my floor was like mostly men and then me. (laughs) So it was just strange. It was strange. My dad was not happy about it. Yeah, we had uh, buildings where it was one was specifically all girls. Um, and it was called, I think, the Virgin. Oh my God! Like yeah. Oh no, the spe- there was a specific floor called the Virgin mm-hmm. Hall or something like that. Oh whoa. Uh, we, I lived in a mixed dorm, but each floor was uh, gender specific, mm-hmm. and it was a freshman dorm, y'all. It was a freshman dorm, and I did not like going to the dining hall by myself either. Me either. Me either. Well, and. Okay, at this point, when I, I, w- I was moving into my dorm, my, my dorm was covered in Harry Potter posters. But, but uh, this 
At that point, I had moved to a separate room, kind of apartment situation, um, or was living with a friend I felt comfortable yeah. with. I wouldn't have done it without that. Right. I was too shy. I was too embarrassed. I think most other places I lived, I didn't have the courage to put those up. And I also wore a Harry Potter shirt the first day to, like, my fictional writing class. And the professor called it out. And I literally, like, he was like, oh, every character just ends up with their high school sweetheart. And I literally zipped up my jacket slowly in what I hoped was a very nonchalant manner. (laughs) So in the book, when I was reading that, when she puts up, like, the... The art that's kind of like art that is based on her fan fiction, um, perhaps kind of uh, erotic sounding gay art. I would never have done that. Oh, yeah. No. Were you into fan fiction in college? Oh, nowhere near what I am now. Nowhere near what I am now. I did not know it existed until the last three years. You told me. Oh, I started reading when I was like 11, 11 <laughs> or 12. And then I did, um, on my freshman year, I did have a roommate that was was never there, which was kind of great and kind of scary because I never knew when she would show up. Um, then I had another whose boyfriend practically lived with us in our tiny shared space that was further shared with others when it came to the bathroom. And, you know, you kind of do want to make these these college memories. Right. Or I did, uh, where you want to meet your, like, roommate, become best friends. But she was like, oh, no, uh, I'm good. <laughs> right. So here's another quote. In new situations, all the trickiest rules are the ones nobody bothers to explain to you and the ones you can't Google. Like, where does the line start? What food can you take? Where are you supposed to stand? Then where are you supposed to sit? Where do you go when you're done? Why is everyone watching you? Bah. Ah. And I love that because I feel that so hard. I feel that so hard. Like, how did everyone seem to know what to do? And I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I, yeah, she talks about, can't Google. I Google all the restaurants to see ahead of time how this is going to set up. The parking is a nightmare. I need to know. All of those things. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. But I, I would not go to the dining halls without friends because I felt it felt too much unless it was early in the morning when I knew it was very sparse and no one was going to be there. Right, right. Yeah, me too. I would go at off times for sure. Like, oh, it's okay if I sit alone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Or if I don't know where to go. I can just go right to the front of the line because there's there's no line. (laughs) This did remind me of the first week um, I moved to China. Uh, Yeah, and the first week there, I ate whatever I could point at or purchased without interacting with anyone. And one of the the first nights there, I remember crying into some ramen noodles that I made in my hotel what? room with like a tea kettle. And I ate it using a comb handle and a toothbrush as chopsticks because wow. I was too scared to go ask for chopsticks. I did that. Uh, when I went to Italy, I traveled by myself, and I was in a small town, and I didn't know anything, and no one spoke English, which is, and I did not speak Italian, so I was like, oh, and I'm all by myself. I had to point to try to find where I was. I was dragging a roller suitcase. Like, it was bad, and so I finally went to a store, found cookies and sparkling water, and went back and yes. ate cookies and sparkling water the first night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I get it. And speaking of, there was a lot of unhealthy dieting and eating that was exhibited in this uh, book. And I know we've done an episode before on junkorexia, which is basically like foregoing food to use all of your allotted calories in your mind on alcohol. And this is pretty common on college campuses and also really unhealthy I hope is clear. And a lot of that, unfortunately, did bring back memories for me of friends who were like on paleo diets or... (laughs) I actually did the skinny bitch. Oh, oh. That they mention in the book. I did that. I will say I did that because I was more horrified about the stories of the animal cruelty that was in the book. But I I definitely followed with it. I was like, what? Yeah. And there's so much like pressure around the the. Freshman 15, 15 pounds you're expected to gain. There's just so much fear-mongering around weight. And also with Rin and her roommate, Courtney, there was a lot of alcoholism and excessive drinking. Poor coping skills in general, I would say. Um, But I definitely saw that when I was there where people 
maybe had never had anything to drink before. And then they got to this atmosphere that might have been a big, you know, party drinking, social drinking atmosphere, and then didn't really know how to um, regulate. So I thought that was interesting because the way Bryn is presented, she's sort of like having that college experience, in quotes, that we're supposed to have, but clearly she wasn't coping well either. She was just she was just doing it in a more socially sanctioned way, unfortunately. <laughs> and there was some ableist language throughout and a lot of fear around mental health, especially for Kath, because like... Yeah. And their dad. Like, there was a lot of, like, non-conversation. The only time we talk about counseling is when everything went really extreme. Um, I don't know, like, her stance on that. I have no understanding of the conversation. It may be just very, like... In this family, this is not a thing. I don't know how the cultural ideas are. But yeah, absolutely, with like all the conversations, again, about him not being able to read as typically as everyone else, not being able to completely understand. I'm guessing it was like a type of dyslexia or something. Uh, they didn't really do too much, but like the way she bypassed all of that seemed kind of like, okay, this could happen, moving on. And the, again, this is not necessarily the point in the book, and that's not something that she wanted to focus on, which is fine because it's her book. But yeah, there was a lot of like the way they were joking about bipolar and his extreme uh, need to be like, I can just maintain with running. Of course, they were all very worried and concerned about that him needing care. Of course, I, me being me, I'm like, this feels like maybe part of the problem in the marriage is A, they they got married because she got pregnant. B, he had a lot of mental health. He, he wasn't willing to treat um, and really felt like he was off. And then everybody around him encouraged him in his manic uh, episodes instead of having the conversation of like, this is not, this you're not maintaining as well as you think. So there was a lot of like the breakdown in that conversation. I was like, okay, addiction, bipolar. She's talking about, like, instead of calling it what it is, talking about being crazy and, and because she wasn't, her anxiety was out um, for her, almost unmanageable for hers at times, yeah. which she was able to maintain. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of those like, this could have been better had we been able to kind of show one great example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of I mean, coping. <laughs> I don't want to excuse it, but um, there is a certain level in college where you're you're kind of muddling about that language, uh, and you're exposed to it because we don't learn about it, right? Unfortunately, but yeah, that was something that I noticed. Another thing that I noticed is um, something else we've talked about, which is parentification. Yeah, where Kath really felt like she had to be there for her dad and take care of her dad, or else things would go. Wrong. Right. Well, and things did go wrong. They so did. So she wasn't, you know, she wasn't completely incorrect in the fact that she was the only one concerned. Very, like I was, I was frustrated for her, uh, definitely in a lot of those situations. But the dad did come back to parent uh, Ren. We got to see that art. Art got to parent rent Ren uh, in the end. But yeah, definitely a lot mm. of that as well for her because she is the overly mm -hmm. responsible one. Which I was, yeah, I get it. Me too. I mean, I lived at home with my father for several years so I could uh, help take care of him. So I totally get it. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, now we have to talk about Phantom uh, because we have to, we have to, we have to. Because that is throughout, throughout. Uh, <laughs> you've got the snippets of this fan fiction. That's the title of the book. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, you know. And I love that Kath has this fan fiction that she thinks about like, oh, 60,000 people are reading this fan fiction and like what else could equate to that? Um, which, yeah, I mean, that's a huge deal. <laughs> And it is funny in reading this, um, how many fanfiction posts I've seen, which I've read a lot of fanfiction quite in depth, where uh, the college update comes in. Like, oh, I'm going to university, so I won't be able to update as often. Um, You really do get invested in these people's lives and their schedules. (laughs) You're like, oh, God, she's going to university. Oh, I'll never know what happened. <laughs> oh, I guess this is kind of the problem with fan fiction because typically we were originally looking at taking one of your fan fictions that you like, uh, one of the writers, one of them in the world, and reading that. And you're like, mm, they're all either not finished and they're like how many chapters, so many chapters, or, you know, like, uh, it was just, like, typically they weren't finished, and I was like, really? And you're like, yeah, they kind of keep going. (laughs) It's kind of that world, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a friend I introduced to fan fiction, and she she told me, like, oh, well, I won't read an uncompleted fan fiction because I'll be heartbroken, and I was like, oh, you're going to be heartbroken again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to include this quote. Kath had an audience now, a following. All these people she didn't know who expected things from her and questioned her decisions. Sometimes they even turned against her. They'd trash her on other fan sites, saying that Kath used to be good, but she'd lost the magic. That her Baz was too canon or not canon enough. That her Simon was approved. That she overwrote Penelope. (laughs) Yes. 100% yes. This is what happens. Like... People, you get big enough, and they'll write their own fan fiction right. of your fan fiction. <laughs> and that's one thing I struggle with, which I would never actually do, but I do think about it, is like, you know, if some author has a big life update, and they go to college or whatever, and they're not updating as as per usual on their schedule, right? where people will send them messages like, hey, where's the update? I need the update. <laughs> where is like, it? Where is it? That's not a good look. Leave me alone. <laughs> which is totally fair. I find it funny because in in the book, which we didn't talk about much, she actually encounters a fan. Yes, she does. That didn't she, that she didn't know was a like she was talking to her in the library and talking about how she much she likes her more than the original author, and she just can't wait. And she's been so long, and she doesn't know what's happening. Oh, you know, yes. like that is really cute. I wonder if that's ever happened. I mean, oh my God, like I've said a million times, there are fan fictions that I have read that are better, in my opinion, than the actual thing and what happened. Right. And you can like, if you go to Etsy, which is not currently a sponsor, at one time was, but it's not currently, uh, you can go and find items 
based on people's fan fiction, like that person with the shirt right. earlier, that is like an actual thing <laughs> that you can you can look up and buy merchandise around people's fan fiction. Oh, really? Yes. I got you a fan fiction shirt, but it was more of like, these are the styles that you like. And I love it. I do love it. Thank you. <laughs> I did want to include this quote because it has just so many things I've talked about before. She didn't tell Nick that writing love stories was her thing, her one true thing, and that his anti-love story read like somebody's very first fanfic, Mary Sue to the 10th power, that the main character was obviously Nick, and that the girl was obviously Winona Ryder, plus Natalie Portman, plus Selena Gomez. (laughs) I've said it a million times. I think that when men write what I would say is fanfiction, uh, with a Mary Sue, it is seen as, oh, this is academic. Uh, they get a lot more leeway than women. Um, whereas when women do it, it's like, oh, you think you could be the main character? Oh, that's cute. <laughs> right. And then there's this whole plot line with um, fan fiction being stealing with her teacher um, or professor. And also with Nick being stealing her stuff and that kind of line of who is the creator, who is the muse, and him using her as a muse. I have a lot of thoughts about this, which we don't have time to get into because this is already going kind of long. But I do think there are some things that are foundational, like archetypes. And I remember when I was in fifth grade, um, me and this other student, uh, Andrea, we wrote essentially the same story separately, and she put up such a such a fuss about it that I had stolen it from her. And I absolutely hadn't. It was just an idea that I think is in the ether and is one of those kind of building blocks of a lot of stories we have. But she threw up this big stink and got me in trouble, and I still think about it to this day. Oh. I think there's a lot of debate to be had around this. I personally would have never turned in a fan fiction as a college project. I might have turned in something that was actually a fan fiction, but I would change the names and change things around. Right. I was going to say, especially in college, that's creative writing, college, like she wouldn't share it with Nick, but she would share it with her professor. That seems bold. But good on her. She knows what she's good at. And clearly she was good at it. (laughs) Slash this fictional character. (laughs) I do think like... I mean, I think the professor might have been too tough. Like, I think she needed, Kath needed that lesson, but it didn't have to go like that. Because if the story is good, like, yeah, I don't know. Again, those characters are kind of archetypes a lot of the time. <laughs> That's a, a different topic for a different podcast, perhaps. But uh, I did want to include a final note about fan fiction as coping because I have talked about it a lot and it was clearly present in this book. There is one thing that um, I know you and I, Samantha, have talked about off mic. I'm not sure if we've ever actually talked about it on here. But when Ren has seemingly moved on from this fandom that they, her and Kath are both so in love with and bonded over, that resonated with me so hard. That hit me so hard. Like one day, everyone's going to move on. I'm going to move on maybe. Um, and that's scary. It's like that scene in Inside Out where all of her kind of inner foundations have been part of her identity get obliterated um, and replaced with something else because fandom has made up a lot of my identity for better or worse. And when people move on and when people make fun of it, that's like they're making fun of you. And especially like when people move on because they're like, oh that's silly, or I'm mature, so I don't do that anymore. And it feels very judgmental where maybe it had been something that made you friends previously. This is actually something that still bothers me to this day. Like, I still I get in my head about, like, oh, my gosh, what if one day I move on from Star Wars? What if Star Wars is no longer so important to me? What am I going to do? It's so much to me right now, and I'm, like, pretty sad about it. I do find it interesting because I've never loved anything this much. I've never loved a character or anything that, to me, they they were life. They were living. They, they were 
like they are sacred to that point. Of course, like I like things, but I don't love things to this level, which makes me think I'm a horrible human being in general. Nah. But like overall, like I wondered, and I did ask you, I was like, what did you think of this interpretation? Is this is this what you feel? Is this what you see? This like passion? Is this is this how you feel about your fan fiction? And I, I did ask, and I, I don't know if you fully answered that question, but... Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it's kind of funny how attached I get, or at least for me, to to fan fiction and fan fiction writers. And I, I recently had to tell um, my friend that I introduced to fan fiction, like, here's the sad truth of it. Um, they're probably going to move on. Um, right now, they're super into it. You're super into it. But they they might get into another fandom, or they might, I don't know, get older and get mm-hmm. uh, busy with other things, and they mm-hmm. this won't be their thing anymore. And they might never finish their story that you love so much. Um, and that can be kind of sad to accept. And that it really hurts. And I've even written the the end to some fan fictions. That I'm never going to post, but for me, because I want to know how they end. I love them so much. And for them to just stop. Mm-hmm. So painful. And another thing that really resonated with me was the um, officially non-compliant, which we talked about at the top. Uh, but this is basically like, canon comes in. Canon being like, this is the officially confirmed, sanctioned storyline. Right. And comes in and... Tells you tells you what it is, and a lot of times, in my experience, it's not necessarily what you want. So, like for instance, which this book is definitely playing on. Before the seventh Harry Potter book came out, all of us were rushing to write and or read fan fiction that was the seventh book mm-hmm. because we knew when it came out, it was over. Like there was no hope left in wondering what could happen. Because we knew what happened. But before it came out, there was this kind of beautiful universe where we could pretend this would happen or this would happen or this would happen, whatever. And so for me, like right now, I, this is one of the reasons why I'm like scared of new Star Wars things coming out because I love Star Wars, but I like the Mandalorian season three is going to really mess up my my stories because it's going to close this door. And I have really strong headcanon being, you know, I I pretend this doesn't happen or this didn't happen or whatever. Um, But you still can't entirely forget that it did. And it impacts people who write fan fiction. Like all of a sudden, it changes the, what people are writing and how they're writing and how they're writing certain characters that you love. Um, so it's kind of a kind of a scary thing. So hard I connected to that. But yeah, um, I really love this book. I'm really glad that you liked it. I think for me on my end, I loved the take on this uh, coming of age story. Her relationship with Levi uh, was unique and different. It is very heteronormative. Like the, the mentions of any like queer relationships are essentially in the <laughs> fan fiction a kind of moment, odd reaction about like, I'm reading you a story about two gay dudes and there's a gay dude in the house. I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, wait, that was oddly placed. I don't know how I feel about this. But yeah, like, so, and apparently from what I'm gathering, I'm not seeing too many, I guess, I guess the fanfic Carry On and Wayward Son may have the very, very uh, queer relationships. I don't know, but I have not seen that thus far with uh, Rainbow's other books. But uh, yeah, I really love the relationships. I even love the Reagan character. I was like, that's a little me, but not as mean, I think. I'm going to be the one that's like, now we're doing this, come on. Uh, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to be in, in, insensitive, like say, take your pills. God, take your pills, which is the kind of the rhetoric. And she's like, I take mine. So I was like, okay, she really, okay, she's talking about she has mental health and she gets it. It's normal. Let's go on. Uh, but I think that's what I enjoyed. I definitely enjoyed the pieces of the fan fiction and the pieces of like her loving this, but just loving something so much and feeling childish and trying to grow up, going the 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 uh, transfer of being a high school student to a college student to seeing adults. So it was really nice to see in her growing up uh, in those moments. And that's why I really love that book. I was like, it feels 
real. I've, I see this. I understand this. Even 20 years later, I still, I, I remember that feeling. So it was nice to see that as well. But it was a really well-written book. It really caught you. Great job. Recommend. Even if you don't like fan fiction, recommend. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I mentioned this in a past podcast, but one of my favorite reviews of this book was, I think, a man writing, like, how did a straight woman learn how to write queer romance so well between two men? I was like, welcome to fan fiction, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited to read that. Uh, it was great. I enjoyed it so much. I can't wait to read the other, the fan fiction books. And in the meantime, as always, if you have any suggestions for us listeners for what we should read next... Please let us know. Our email is stephaniamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've never told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.